The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, scrape the volcanic ash off your car and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 558 with guest Matthew Padwasaki, recorded live Tuesday, March 30th, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, in RTV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Grape City Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. And now, the man who's holding back a joke about the oil spill, it's a little crude. Carl Franklin! Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl here, Richard's here, we're all here. Let's do a show. Let's do a show. Hey, uh, I was reading on the web today this article uh, or a blog post by Raymond Chen. You know Raymond, right? Love Raymond Chen. Yeah, he's he's like old school, like been there since the beginning at Microsoft. Uh, Shrinkster.com slash 1D9D, and the title is, uh, it's Windows Confidential on TechNet, and it says... History Taking Up Space, Raymond Chen. I'm sure he won't mind if I read this. So, Microsoft... Remember Microsoft, Bob? I do. It was intended to be a friendly user interface on top of Windows 3.1. Windows 3.1, wow. But instead it flopped infamously, earning the dubious distinction of being named one of the worst technology products of all time by PC World. In the years that have passed by since Bob's demise... A product has been relegated to the status of a running joke with a mere mention of its name drawing Snickers. Now, as a matter of fact, we partook of that joke recently. Incidentally, yes. Microsoft Bob's internal code name was Utopia, an ambitious name to be sure, but at least one that had some snap and pizzazz. When we learned that the marketing folks, and this is Raymond talking, when we learned that the marketing folks had decided to name the product Bob, we all shook our heads in disbelief. But there's more to Bob's legacy than you might know. It turns out Bob was actually more useful dead than alive. Huh. (laughs) That's great. When you intend to distribute your software on a CD, 
One thing you have to worry about is making sure your product actually fits on a single CD. Right. Fortunately, it so happened that even after taking into account the disk space required for translations, support tools, and the other stuff that has to go onto the Windows XP CD, oh. there was still about 30 megabytes of storage capacity remaining. The people who worry about these sorts of things figured, well, we already paid for all that storage capacity on the CD, so we might as well use it, right? The result was a rather feeble attempt to slow down the people who like to make illegal copies of Windows. Somebody decided to fill that extra capacity on the CD with dummy data and to have the Windows setup program verify that the dummy data was still there. This, the logic went, would force people downloading a copy of the CD image to download an additional 30 or so megabytes of data. Remember, this was back in the day when broadband hadn't yet become a household word and mainstream users were using dial-up connections. Having to transfer an additional 30 megs of data over 56K modem was a bit of an obstacle to slow users down, not that it would slow them down much by today's standards. The person who was asked to implement this check needed a source for the dummy data. Now, he could have just called the cryptgenRandom function to generate 30 megs of cryptographically random bytes, but where's the fun in that? (laughs) 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 You know it's coming. Instead, he dug through the archives and found a copy of Microsoft Bob. He took all the floppy disk images and combined them into one big file. The contents of the Microsoft Bob floppy disk images are not particularly random, so he decided to scramble up the data by encrypting it. When it came time to enter the encryption key, he just smashed his hand haphazardly across the keyboard and out came an encrypted copy of Microsoft Bob. That's what went into the unused space as ballast data on the Windows XP CD. In the end, Windows XP became the most effective Microsoft Bob deployment tool ever developed. (laughs) (laughs) And if you go way back into your closet, dig out your copy of Windows XP, and can somehow channel the right spirits to mash your hands on the keyboard in exactly the right way, then out of your encryption program will come a copy of Microsoft Bob. Awesome. Oh, man. You know, that sounds like a contest waiting to happen. Absolutely. I, 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 that was from uh, July 2008, but I just, I just found it. So, Well, and you figured that encryption was done back in, what, 2000, 2001? Yeah. So with the horsepower we've got these days, you could probably even brute force it to find it. <laughs> oh, man. Shrinkster.com 1D9D. Let's get into Better No Framework. All right. So today I'm going to talk about the transforms in Silverlight. Oh. And those are in system.windows.media. And we have uh, – transforms are basically things that you can do to an object, to a okay. shape, to a control, to an element. Uh, you can rotate, you can scale, you can skew, and you can translate. So the rotate transform is the class that rotates by a specified angle. The scale transform scales an element by the scale X and scale Y amounts. The skew transform skews an element by a specified angle X and angle Y. And I should also say that you have the ability to, to, uh, to say where the center is when you do these transforms. And then there's one that you might not, um, might not be obvious by the name of it, translate transform. And that moves an element over by a specified X and Y amount. Huh. Yeah. So those are your transforms, the the 2D transforms in Silverlight. That's cool. And uh, they also work in WPF. 
And you've been silverlighting lately, haven't you? I have been silverlighting. So I thought I would share that. Enjoy. Richard, who's Excellent. yakking at us? Uh, Stephen Goodman is yakking at us. He says, hi, Carl and Richard. I've just finished listening to show 535 and wanted to congratulate you on an excellent show. I've been using the web platform installer now for a few months, and it's an excellent way to get my dev machine up and running. As well as using WebPI, I've also been using a website called HornGet. And that's at hornget.net, which is a fabulous website for downloading pre-compiled open source solutions. Currently, the site hosts over 30 separate projects, including Anhybridate, Castle Windsor, and Rhino Mocks, split into categories such as IOCs, ORMs, Mocks, and NoSQL. Each package is supplied with full dependencies, so you can be sure to be up and running in no time at all. The website supports a command line interface for automating into builds. Keep up the good work. Stephen Goodman from Southampton, UK. Well, okay. If you've ever seen this, it's well, it's interesting that in the open source world, we're doing this a lot more easily because we don't have a licensing concern where people are basically building ready-to-go development environments with everything you need to use a given set of tools and Mm. then just saying, here, use it. Try it on. You don't have to have all that fuss of getting everything configured. Uh, And Microsoft's doing this a bit, but, you know, the complexities of their licensing rules and so forth sort of impair that to some degree. So it's one of the strengths I think of that that approach. And Hornget, I had not heard of this site, but I t- took a good peek around there. And yeah, me too. Very interesting stuff up it there. It is if interesting you indeed. Just dabble in some of these other technologies and get a sense of what's going on. So Stephen, great lead. Sending a mug to England for you, sir. And if you've got suggestions, concerns, ideas for shows, anything at all, send us an email. .net rocks at franklins.net. Okay, Richard. And with that, let's get to our guest. Our guest today is Matt Podwasaki. He's been a professional developer for 11 years and writing software since he was seven years old with his trusty Commodore 64. Yes, sir. Matt is currently a senior consultant at Microsoft in Washington, D.C. In addition to his day job, he is also actively engaged with the product groups such as F-Sharp, the Reactive Extensions, and more. As a programming language enthusiast, he has a deep interest learning a new language every year with a lot of recent time spent in Haskell, Erlang, Clojure, JavaScript, Python, and Ruby, in addition to his passion for F-Sharp. He has spoken at conferences both internal and external to Microsoft and acted as a co-organizer for such events as Alt.net Seattle and NoSQL East. In addition to founding DC Alt.net, he is active in the Washington, D.C. developer community with co-organizing NovaLang, a polyglot user group, and speaks at other local user groups. You can find him on his blog at codebetter.com slash blog slash Matthew.podwisaki. P-O-D-W-Y-S-O-C-K-I. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. All right. So what are we here to talk about? We're here to talk about the reactive framework in all its various uh, morphosage versions. We call those. (laughs) Uh, Uh, It's various forms. Yes, yeah, so, uh, uh, let's call it uh, the reactive extensions for .NET. So, for... Okay. So the reactive framework was a research project that's now evolved into the reactive extensions for .NET? Yeah, well, we could just call it the reactive extensions because we've got the reactive right. extensions for, for .NET, JavaScript, okay. C++, etc. Lots of different platforms. So, so just exactly. tell us what it is in general. Let's start with okay. the elevator pitch. Okay. Uh, so what's the goal here? Remember how we had in uh, .NET uh, 3.5 is we had this 
introduction of a uh, thing called link to objects. And what that was was a nice abstraction over the, the iterator model, which is to say that uh, you could uh, do any number of things with compositions of, of collections. Uh, so you could, uh, you could project the value, you could filter value, aggregate, and so on. Uh, but against collections, which is to say that ultimately I have to, at the end, say, move next, get me a value, move next, get me another value, move next, get me another value. So the reactive extensions instead tries to take it from a different angle, which is to say we're going to provide a nice abstraction over orchestrating and coordinating asynchronous and event-based operations and treating them as collections. So if I had to say three words, could I say events over link? Yes, you could say link to events, and that's one of the, the common, uh, commonly used terms, at least for the uh, early uh, stages of the project, yes. And has it morphed into more than that? Uh, it's, it certainly has in terms of uh, it's more than just events. It's more, more around uh, reactive programming in general. For example, you can uh, uh, take begin-end methods with the IASync result uh, and abstract over those. So any, anything like that you can, you can abstract over. You can also do uh, take a, a standard uh, I enumerable of, of T collection and turn that on its inverse and turn that into an, uh, an observable uh, value as well. So it's not just event-based uh, altogether. It's, it's actually a, a wide number of things to treat asynchronous uh, programming as a collection. Well, give us, um, give us a scenario that it enables that we have wanted to do in the past but weren't able to. Okay. Well, let's think of, uh, of some of the, uh, the broad uses here. So why, why are we even interested in, say, asynchronous programming to begin with? So let's think about this. The essence of, of web programming uh, through, uh, through your uh, ASP.NET or through Silverlight or what have you, uh, as well as the phone, is largely asynchronous and event-based. Now, how have we been able to, in the past, do a lot of rich compositional behavior with asynchronous or event-based programming? Well, we've had any number of choices, really. We've had the uh, begin-end uh, callback scenario. We've had events with the uh, uh, some action async and then the, uh, the completed um, uh, events that goes on top of that. And then you've got TPL tasks. You've got any number of ways to do asynchronous programming. The problem is that they're not really all that compositional. So if you wanted to say, okay, now do this event and then this event, only when this other event happens until this other thing happens and then I want to stop listening. How have we been able to do that in the past? Well, it gets very, very ugly very quickly when we're trying to do compositional behavior. You'd have to sprinkle some sort of uh, global state throughout your code or you would have keep on nesting all of these continuations all over your code to say, okay, I've done this asynchronous action, now stop. Now begin this new one. Now stop that one. Now start another one. Right. And it keeps on nesting until it walks off the screen completely. Right. And not only that, but you're only at that point handling the 
the happy day scenario. Right. What happens if you get halfway through and re- realize there's an exception? Yeah. How do you manage that? Well, with all of that spaghetti code that you just wrote, it's awfully hard to jam new logic in there. Right. And then when you, on top of that, how do you get through this and say, whoa, 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 I went too far, I need to cancel? That would be some other extra goo that you would have to just throw in there. And at that point, you've kind of lost the domain of what you're trying to do in the first place. And instead, you had to write 100 to 300 lines of code to handle asynchronous behavior when the synchronous version may have only been 10 lines. It's all of that, you know, what if this happens, what if that happens, that just sort of buries the intent of your code. Absolutely. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight analytics framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight analytics framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com Telerik. So is the idea then to make asynchronous programming as easy as synchronous programming? Uh, the idea is to try to approach it that way, yes, uh, through, uh, through, any, through this uh, link uh, programming model, absolutely. Uh, the ability to turn uh, these, these asynchronous operations into what we have observable collections. It's not the, uh, the system.component uh, model observable collection, but instead of in I observable of T and I observer. Uh, so that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about trying to fundamentally change uh, the way we, we think about uh, collections, just as we did for link to objects for interactive programming, which is to say, okay, I want another call move next, I want another move next, mm-hmm. and turn that to events and asynchronous and say, well, I've got the, I'm really interested in this thing happening. I'm going to put this bucket here, and whenever you're ready, start filling it up. And then I can take that bucket and compose it with the next operation. So do you put operations in a collection and just say, do these asynchronously one at a time? Is that how it works? Uh, basically, what, it's, what you're trying to do is you're going to say, uh, let's, let's take a more concrete example. So let's try to do a mouse drag. So what we're going to try to do is we're going to say that we're going to collect all of the mouse moves and the mouse down, uh, mouse down events, but only, only when that mouse is down and then stop listening on mouse up. Okay, so what we would have to do is we would say from our mouse down, and then you would say fr- uh, from mouse move until mouse up, select our mouse move. And sure enough, we now have a link uh, syntax over events. Oh, okay. Hold on now. Mine, you know what? 
uh, totally different from what I was thinking of. So what okay. you're saying is you, you want to use a link expression to tell the system what to put in a bucket somewhere during mm-hmm. asynchronous events. Right. I see. Yep. Well, and you can see the issue in, in a mouse drag. It's every time you move across a different control or over a different div tag, sure. for example, you've got other intercepts there. And you yep. could try and do event bubbling, but you may or may not be interfered with. That's right. That's a classic That's right. problem. It's a huge problem. And it makes, you know, to your point, it makes incredibly ugly code. Yeah. Scattered everywhere. Yes. And lots of lots of booleans. Yes, yes, especially that. And uh, and when we enable the link syntax over the thing, we can also then say where our mouse coordinates are not in this area. Hmm. So it's that kind of composable wow. behavior instead of having this this uh global uh, kind of states between all of our particular mouse uh, operations, we instead compose it from one to the other to the other and have that state kind of bubble down with us. And now let's swap out uh, something real for mouse events, something like, you know, oh, I don't know, transaction updates. Um, yeah, working. There's in- something very aspect-oriented about it, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Well, basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to coordinate things together that have been really hard to coordinate before, such right. as asynchronous operations, event-based operations, which is to say you're not quite sure when it's going to, to end. Uh, but when you do, you want to take that value and compose it to the next piece. But only when certain criteria is met, and uh, then you can do aggregations and, wow. and so on. That's huge. It is, it is kind of huge, and it's... What's really nice is the fact that we're using Link to express all of this. Of course, yeah. And I, I still think uh, that we are, we have not yet fully realized the the full potential of Link, uh, where people just assume when you say Link, you mean Link to SQL or Link to entities or something like that, but not necessarily something like this. Right. And the interesting thing is, you know, we normally think of a link expression as something you're going to execute immediately. This is more of a, while you're off doing stuff, keep an eye on this. Right. Mm. Right, exactly. So we're, re- we're basically saying, hey, we're interested in seeing these whenever you're ready. Right. Gather them up and put them here. Yes, exactly. Nice. Yes, that's exactly what we're trying to do. So, uh Basically, yeah, what we're trying to do is move away from the more blocking model of the I enumerable, which is to say that uh, I I beg you, I implore you to to move next, and then the system will goes, hmm, well, I got to do some expensive calculations. Okay, here you go. Right. And that that model, of course, uh, doesn't really work all that well in asynchronous programming especially when we're moving towards a lot of asynchronous programming with our phones, with web, etc. It also frees up you architecturally to do a lot more with events than you had previously thought you would do. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, because most of the time you would say, well, I'm going to only hook up this event handler if I ultimately have to. Right. And you'd, they were hard to test. You were 
they had all any number of problems. But right. what's great about the uh, uh, with what's great about the reactive extensions uh, in the .NET version is the fact that the uh, where we have I enumerable of T and I enumerator uh, to express our link to objects and our iterator iterator pattern for the observer pattern that we have for uh, for the reactive st- extensions implements the I observable of T and I observer of T. So instead of these weird events that aren't quite real objects, we get to deal with real objects now. So we can mock them out, we can stub them out, whatever we need to do. So they are now no longer really tightly coupled to this weird uh, concept of, of events. We now have this uh, easily replaceable value of an eye observable. Wow. There are so many places you could use this. Um, yeah, this is just a challenge of thinking. You've just you've blown my mind, yeah. man. For the first time in a long time, I'm like, I got to go write some code. Well, I mean, it changes <laughs> the way you write code because you may may have thought, oh, why should I do an event with for that? Nobody, you know, nobody would do anything with it. There, it's right. too you you know. <laughs> A lot of times you figure out that you don't want to use events just because it would be tedious to to access them in any meaningful way. Yeah, to coordinate them to coordinate any them. number of things, sure. So now, you, now that you have this ability, the you're free to architect something that, ha- that does a lot more with events. That's right. That's right. And quite frankly, when we, when we think about Silverlight, we don't have a choice. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, because of the fact that all of our IO operations must be asynchronous. Right. right. So uh, when we, when we create those service references, what does it do? It generates, uh, ones with, uh, begin and end methods as well as, uh, a way to call it with the blah, blah, blah async and then have an event that has, uh, blah, 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 uh, completed. So does XAML get any, uh, get any love from the reactive framework? Uh, not exactly. In terms of, you can't just uh, double click and suddenly it'll create an I observable uh, property for you. Although it would certainly be nice to do that. Uh, to express an may, example, yeah. Yeah, there might be uh, down the road somewhere, but uh, not right now. You don't get that uh, rich compositional behavior right in your XAML directly. Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately, you have to have events, and yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's so. just the matter of how you compose them all together is is the real key. So, um, g- give me a really a really good example of, I mean, other than you know something like beyond the mouse move, of where you have seen the reactive extensions just completely go to town. Okay. Well, uh, one example, uh, at least I I know of that uh, people are using right now. Uh, the reactive extensions for Silverlight to do a lot of the uh, uh, Silverlight toolkit uh, testing so that okay. it, it makes uh, event-based programming easy to test as well. Oh, sure. Sure, so, so the Silverlight toolkit is a, a set of controls and extensions that basically um, are, are just great. You can't live without them. Yeah. And it was the uh, it was actually oddly enough the first shipping vehicle of the reactive extensions. Wow! Uh, so that's that's how it kind of uh, slipped in there. And yes, that was that was a real great example as to how do you test events? Well, if you turn them into uh, observable instances, then well, 
it becomes a little bit easier for you to to manage when one happens, then another, then another, sure. only when this happens. Without having to litter your code with lots of console write line or logging code. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, f- for example, on uh, on many of the applications that I've written, I've found that uh, composing these WCF calls together to be quite powerful uh, so that I can uh, say, well, this this happens, then this happens, then this happens, all from uh, all from calling the WCF service. But since all of them are asynchronous, I'm still able to compose them all together as if they were normal collections. That's really cool. Hey, you know, so far you've really focused on sort of the link approaches. How does this possibly work in JavaScript? Ah, very good question. Okay, so another aspect of the uh, of the reactive extensions, sure enough, is JavaScript. Uh, that uh, was just released uh, during uh, Mix uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the intent there is to kind of make the same goal for, for .NET to make uh, asynchronous programming uh, really approachable uh, to try to take that to, to the JavaScript world. Now, the JavaScript world is, is very, very much used to callbacks all over the place. In right. fact, if you look throughout all the code, including uh, jQuery, you have callbacks all over the place. Right. So if you really want to do something compositional, then you have to put uh, keep having your uh, closures walk off the screen completely to to do that rich compositional behavior. So they thought, why not take that same link model and move it to JavaScript? So there are some very interesting yeah, there are some very interesting ways that they've done it that I. I'm not necessarily uh, privy to in terms of how they did it, but uh, suffice it to say that you can get true asynchronous behavior inside of your JavaScript, which is to say that if I make a service call and then I turn these certain things into uh, into observables, the actual order of what comes back to me is not always guaranteed. So you can really see true asynchronous behavior in JavaScript. We've been using the term observable, and while I know what it is, and I know you know, and a lot of our listeners do, there might be somebody out there that doesn't. So, um, okay. iObservable of T is a uh, an interface that you can implement so that when a collection changes, you can get an event on it. Uh, basically, let's yeah, let's move back even further than that. So, let's talk first about the iterator, okay. uh, the iterator pattern. So that's a uh, you know. Frontline gang of four pattern, which allows us to basically enumerate over a collection. Right. So we get a handle to our iterator, and then we can say move next, get the current value, move next, and so on. Mm-hmm. That's a fairly one, uh, fairly simple one we're used to uh, in in .NET programming, especially uh, since I enumerable of T and so on. But there is also another uh, gang of four pattern out there called the observer pattern, mm-hmm. which is basically to say I have a bunch of, I have potentially any number of values that I can push to you at any given time, and you just register your interest in me. Right. It's the basic event. Exactly. So you you register your intent, and then we have these, uh, well, let's see, 
we have uh, you register yourself with a uh, uh, with the subject, and you say, okay, well, when the next value happens, give it to me. Right. Give it. Keep giving it to me. So with iObservable of T, what Eric and company did is they realized that really what we're talking about when we're talking about iEnumerable of T is we're really talking about a pool collection, which is to say, I'm going to say, get that handle of get enumerator, and then I'm going to say, move next, get me the value, move next, get me the value, move next. So keep calling move next until we uh, finally reach the end. And then it returns false. Now, the I observable of T and I observer of T is the inverse of that, which is to say, first, we have the ability to uh, get a handle, which is the subscribe method on I observable of T, uh, which actually returns a dispose, and we'll get back to that exactly why. And then what we have for the inverse of the I enumerator is the I observer. And let's go and take a look at that. So what the I observer of T has is it has three methods. It has on error, on completed, and on next. So what we have here with the uh, I en- let's look at the I enumerator again. So what we have here is we have this move next, and this move next takes no arguments and returns you a boolean. So if we're talking about taking something and and reversing it, we could easily say, okay, move next now returns a void and takes a boolean to say whether we're complete or not. Now that doesn't really make much sense. You keep on saying false, false, false until you say true, and then boom, it's completed. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to say, uncompleted, turn that into uncompleted, and then just leave it at that. And just say, okay, we're only going to call you when we're completed then. Now let's also take a look at current. So instead of of current, uh, which returns a value of T, we're going to say it returns void, and uh, you can have a set value. So that turns into on next, which is to say the next time we have a value, here it is. And then thirdly, that our move next could potentially throw an error. So how do you deal with that? Well, the idea is here to be more mathematically pure about it is to say we'll have this on error method, which takes that exception so that we can handle it when we need to. So all that's all that's great between I enumerator and I observer. And then when we get back to the I observable and I enumerator. So if we take the uh, get enumerator, which turns an I enumerator, uh, instead we would say void, you know, void set uh, some value or subscribe, which would inst- instead take that I observer. But instead of saying void this time, we want the ability to not only subscribe, but unsubscribe. How do you do that easily by you'd have to somehow pass in that same observer and say unsubscribe? That gets kind of ugly. What if you instead could just call dispose on that subscription and then just be done with it? 
and just to be able to, to, to clean up all the resources um, and all of that. So one thing that's, that's kind of bugs me about uh, dealing with, uh, with events and, say, lambdas is the fact that when you subscribe with a lambda, you cannot necessarily unsubscribe with the code that looks exactly like that lambda because they'll have two different identities of what those things are. So instead, you can't really, you know, unsubscribe and subscribe with lambdas in line. But using this, uh, this subscribe, you can. Well, that's kind of neat. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. So, what does the what does it look like to the programmer who wants to use you know the reactive extensions in .NET? Let's say C Sharp to gather up mouse move events. Okay, uh, what we have is we have uh, a lot of extension uh, methods available to us, but as well as a lot of uh, static methods available to us in the observable class. And there we have the ability to, uh, to say from event and passing in our object and our string name of our, of our particular event that we're interested and in. And our object is a, is a collection? Uh, no, our object is like a Windows form. Uh, okay. Your, could be a, 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 a uh, WTF window. It could okay. be any number of controls. Something that's going to, the, the controller, the object that generates the events. That's correct. Okay. And then just pass in a string value for the name of the, that event. Okay. Alternatively, you could call the overload, which then you pass in the handler of the, uh, uh, with the uh, subscribe and unsubscribe. But uh, to me, a little bit of magic string juice is always good once in a while to to get up and moving quickly. All right, so we got the object that we're that we're catching events from. We got the string that tells it what the event is, yep. and then we have our expression that says from when to when and when to stop, and then that goes off asynchronously. And when it's done, uh, it gives you a, a callback with all of those all that data in a bucket. So what that does is that basically then uh, takes this uh, uh, takes the the mouse moves or whatever else we want to do and turns that into an observable collection that we can subscribe to. So you, we could have any number of subscribers that subscribe to this particular collection of mouse moves. And then when we want to stop listening, we take that subscription. So basically, when we say mouse moves dot uh, uh, subscribe pass in our, our observer, and then when we uh, are finished, we take the, uh, the result from that dot .subscribe method, and we call it dispose, which then unhooks the event handler from the, uh, uh, from the particular object. So we stop listening to mouse moves. Yeah, I'm trying to think under the hood what's going on here. That is, is it actually, you know, almost like subclassing all references to that event to, to fire all those things? Well, it's basically capturing all of those events. Uh, there's a whole, uh, there's a whole lot of, uh, 
interesting uh, code that goes off and captures all of that uh, and, and makes sure each value is is preserved. Uh, there's some really interesting stuff, especially uh, that they've done, especially around uh, a certain example of, uh, of say, dic- dictionary suggest. So dis- dictionary suggest is is a simple thing where you where you basically have a text box and you start typing, and then uh, as as things come along, it'll start to give you options about which one uh, which uh, which words that you're interested in. So for example, if I say math, it's we'll start enumerating all of the maths in the dictionary. Uh, the problem is necessarily that uh, that since all of these are asynchronous operations that go out and get fired uh, out there to the world, what if uh, I keep on typing really fast and one of those gets, uh, say for instance, I'm on my third letter and then I type a fourth letter and my third hasn't returned yet. Right. So the classic problem would be that it would uh, it would come back and be naive and then wipe out your progress. And uh, uh, as you've typed in that fourth, and it said, nope, you really typed your third, and here are the results for that. That wouldn't be good. No, that wouldn't be good. So they had to do a lot of complicated scheduling in there, which is to say, on that fourth request, since that third request hasn't come back yet, cancel it. Right. So there's a lot of interesting stuff that they've had to do to really make this a, a rich and powerful experience. And, and you know, you're citing an interesting example here of something actually looking for uh, recommendation and, and being able to code in such a way that anytime any text is entered in any of these boxes, I want you to do this kind of checking. Yes, exactly. So, you know, kind of an autocomplete scenario we're talking about here. So, right. So what we also have through, uh, through the magic of all of these extension methods is we can then throttle how fast that we want these to happen. So, for example, if I want maybe every 250 milliseconds, then the event can fire. So you can space it out a little bit to say, we're not going to go uh, really uh, ADD on the service and just start spraying uh, the service. We're going to do it in a very methodical manner of every 250 milliseconds, we're going to yield a new value. I just suddenly get this vision of, you know, this is exactly, you're almost coding exactly the way someone would describe you to do that. I want you to, anytime they're entering text, I want you to do that spell checker or that word suggestion tool. And now you're almost coding exactly that description. Yes. Yeah, you're you're using a a nice fluent API if you choose to do that and kind of the link syntax to say, well, throttle this, look up this, and return the values here. So it's basically you're taking the key, uh, the key up event, and then you're combining it with the lookup, uh, the lookup event in your dictionary, and you're going to combine those two together. Right. So it's two different events that you're synchronizing together. Which is kind of stunning all by itself. Yes. In a nice throttled fashion where all of the cancellation and all that is handled for you automatically. All right, my head hurts, and it's been a while since you've re- someone's really pushed the envelope for ways to think about a problem, but it's very cool. So what are the different reactive extensions for? I mean, what are the different platforms or languages that it supports? Okay, well, here's, here's another uh, mind-bending one. So, for example, I already told you that uh, 
that we have the ability to take uh, from begin end methods and uh, and and events and and even say i enumerable collections and turn them into observables. Uh, but what if I already said that F sharp already does that? Uh, really? Meaning that all of their first, they have a notion of first class events. And these first class events, are, such as mouse moves or anything like that, when you create a, a Windows form, are automatically observables. So boom, you've already got a nice uh, integration point there. Uh, just as well, there are a lot of other places that are taking advantage of at least the iObservable uh, uh, stuff like F-sharp is, which is uh, Stream Insight, which is uh, complex event processing uh, software that's coming through uh, Microsoft, and uh, I'm not sure of any release schedules or anything like that, but uh, people have, there is a public download for all that, I believe. Uh, just as well, uh, we have the reactive extensions themselves uh, targeted for, right now, uh, .NET 3.5. Uh, we have it for Silverlight uh, 3 right now. Uh, also, uh, .NET 4 uh, for the uh, latest uh, public release candidate release. Uh, we have it for JavaScript, uh, so that one's public. You can go download it, play with it now. And uh, then you also have, uh, coming soon, is uh, native C++ integration. Wow. So, so unmanaged code? Yes, unmanaged code. So nice. all of the problems that I've been discussing here about asynchronous programming is hard. Well, it's just as hard, if not harder, for those guys. Yeah, so no kidding. So they need all the help they can get. And with a uh, general programming model such as this, I, we, you know, the company obviously thinks that there is some value to that. Uh, just as well, uh, I've been working with the team to uh, uh, to have a lot of integration points with uh, reactive extensions to JavaScript. So back at Mix, uh, you know, there was that announcement of uh, of greater uh, jQuery uh, adoption within Microsoft, and in fact, uh, you know, contributing code to it. Since Microsoft is has announced that uh, jQuery uh, integration. We thought it was also kind of nice to have a, a good extensibility point for uh, for the reactive extensions for JavaScript. So there are a ton of uh, frameworks out there, such as, uh, of course, jQuery, Dojo, e ExtJS, YUI, and so on. So each of these have a different way of handling events. So what's been done is uh, the fact that uh, we're going to ship with that uh, the bindings for uh, how to do events uh, with those particular frameworks. We've gone a little bit further with jQuery uh, to to have not only the, the regular events but also uh, live events, which is to say that this selector you're going to subscribe to everything about this selector now or in the future, which is to say, well, this. This paragraph doesn't quite exist yet, but when it does, it will also subscribe to this event. So okay. we're doing that. Uh, there are any number of integration points that we're looking at right now. So okay. that's that's really another really really interesting uh, point is to get the JavaScript developer on board with thinking about reactive programming. Awesome. 
So I've shrunk the link for where you can go and get the reactive framework. It's at shrinkster.com slash 1D9E. So that's 1 Delta 9 Echo. And that'll take you to the DevLab site for reactive extensions for .NET. And there are links there for all the different versions you can download and some samples. So, Matt, is there anything, uh, last-minute stuff you want to throw out there before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, well, just as well. Uh, we will uh, have uh, uh, Jeffrey Van Gogh, the, uh, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, behind uh, the reactive extensions for JavaScript. He'll be out at uh, uh, JSConf here in D.C. on uh, April 17th through the 18th. Uh, to to talk about it, so it's it's going to be a great time, uh, and I hope uh, people uh, enjoy us. All right, excellent. Thanks again, Matt. And thank you. And uh, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a